and welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host. Now, on today's episode, we are going to head over to St. I think Francis Academy um, to go and, you know, be with our like new class of music students because, you know, we're going to go and, uh, I don't know, teach music, I guess. But we're also going to, you know, I don't know, praise Jesus or something. I don't actually know what we're going to do today. But you know what? It doesn't matter because right today, though, we're going to be uh, covering a little movie from 1993, which is a sequel of a movie already. But it is a little movie called Sister Act 2 Back in the Habit, which I already like the title anyway, because uh, it's a fun play on words. So it's always fun. But with this particular movie, though, I couldn't do it by myself because, you know... I like to have guests on every so often to help me talk about a movie, especially if it's maybe one I didn't grow up with or whatever, that kind of thing. And actually, this was a suggestion by my guest today, actually, and very, very happy I was uh, exposed to this. So, But my guest today is a writer for Bloody Disgusting here and there, um, part of that family. Uh, He also is uh, a newly minted doctor, therapist person great wonderful um and also he is the husband of one of the horror queers uh but please welcome to my show mr ari drew ari how are you doing today hello i'm doing wonderful i'm uh thank you for the invite and i'm so excited to chat about this this movie Yes, yes. I mean, we've been, um, if anything, like I first came aware of you on, um, I guess like the, the podcast horror queers. I mean, you mm-hmm. have done a couple episodes, you do the annual episode pretty much. Um, yeah. <laughs> where, where Trace is like, Hey, I've come on my show. Uh, but it's fine. And, uh, I actually do like the episode about I know what you did last summer. And we could talk about that a little bit with this movie yeah. because there's a connection. Uh, but. Yes, but I have listened to some of the other ones. I know you did like X Files. I want to believe uh, Suspiria twenty eighteen. I think we mm-hmm. differ on our opinions of that movie, but that's okay. Everyone's <laughs> allowed to have opinions. But <laughs> I, anyway. that's when I will be. I will defend till I die too. So. <laughs> That's right, a different right. episode, right? <laughs> That's a different episode and go listen to that one. But uh but yeah. And then I became familiar with you on like social media and stuff. And then I I don't know, I think I just followed you or something like that. And you know, we've just been we talked back and forth here and there just because, you know, we're gay. We talk to mm-hmm. each other sometimes. We're all on the, you know, email list, the newsletter, all that kind of <laughs> shit. <clears throat> you know, we have the Staying annual updated. meeting. Yeah, on the yeah, agenda. Yeah. We have the agenda all around, you know, it's <laughs> constantly changing. But anyway, um, and unfortunately, uh, we are on Zoom right now, but I cannot see your beautiful face, but that's okay. I do have this nice picture of you uh, to look at as well, um, just to pretend like you're here. Uh, it's beer. <laughs> it's fine, <laughs> but it's all good. But actually, this movie, it was a suggestion by you, because um, I mm-hmm. said, I was like, hey, like, you should come to my show because, hey, you've been on podcasts before. So, like, fuck it. Why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I was like, well, you know, you can do like, obviously a cult movie is, you know, probably the best thing to do, uh, obviously. And um, you were like, would you maybe do Sister Act 2 back in the habit? I was like, sure, let's do it. Because I looked it up and I was like, oh, it is kind of a cult movie. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so we've been setting this up as well. So, but I, I would like to ask you a little bit, I, my history with this movie, I don't have a history with this movie. My first <laughs> viewing of it is literally this past weekend. Um. So I had never seen either of these movies like ever. I mean, I was familiar with the first one, if anything, because mm-hmm. everybody is, but like, 
excuse me but anyway like but i didn't know anything about them because i never watched them so uh, ari i would like to ask you like what is your history with i guess this series of films i know there's mm-hmm. two of them at least uh but yeah what is your history with just sister act movies in general and then i guess if you want to uh, answer as well uh what is your particular history with this one in particular yeah um yeah so i this is really funny because i grew the first like few years of childhood i grew i grew up in a really like kind of loosely supervised space which i think i've talked about um where i could pretty much watch anything because no one yeah no one monitored anything i was doing (laughs) so yeah so the video store you know you pull you know the the box from or the tape from behind the box and there's no cover art on it no one really looks and then my parents ended up really getting into church when I was probably like six or so. And so everything changed. Like for a while, I really wasn't allowed to watch horror movies, watch spooky shows. Like they hated that I watched Buffy. I would like sneak watch it every week. But what they did, what well, everything that was okay was basically anything that was like obviously family friendly or that specifically related to honestly Jesus and the church. And so I remember we went and saw the first movie the first movie we saw on i saw it on video my parents had rented it and i fell in love because i loved music my whole life i i did my undergrad in the field uh related to music actually so yeah it was uh, kind of like my first real experience outside of disney with a, a kind of musical i mean it's obviously not a musical in in like the narrative sense because it's again the performances are just them performing the songs but i remember i just loved the joy that kind of comes from listening to this even now like not being someone who's particularly religious i will sing these like songs from both of these movies at karaoke <laughs> like oh absolutely like, i will praise jesus because of this movie <laughs> that's what it takes <laughs> <laughs> I also love how you and your husband are just karaoke girls. I really appreciate oh, yeah. and love that. <laughs> like, that's so funny. Yeah, um, that's how yeah, we met. That's so cute. Aw, that's adorable. Yeah. Uh, so in that situation, are you like a VeggieTales kid, I guess? Or uh, like any yes. of that? Not, not intentionally, but yeah, like we, those were the things that were always on at home. And I was like, even working at the church, like I would help with the, with the nursery. So like with the young kids and it was that it was a lot of my middle of my childhood that was uh, spent doing all that so you were pretty much rachel blanchard in sugar and spice then right is that, <laughs> that pretty much what that was we won't go that far but yeah you know it's in the territory <laughs> wait a minute you watched the apple fucking dumpling gang really like oh, oh don't God, worry yeah. it's on the list yes on the oh, list. there's a whole there's a whole like handle or i'm sorry a whole group of these like family friendly films that somehow everyone who grew up in the church like ended up watching it was like your freebies and there were just different ones like that or like the buttercream gang and lots of like yeah of course like the veggie tail stuff anything that was like religiously coded is was okay in that time until I became a teenager and I was like, fuck this. And I just started rebelling and watching what I wanted again. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, my, like, that's, that's, I, I love that you're so vulnerable and you were just, you know, you shared that with me. Um, no, I, I totally get that. I mean, for me, like, I did not, I didn't grow up any sort of religious whatsoever. Um, like, nope. Uh, nope, nope, nope. It's funny because my mom is like, since become Christian or whatever, you know, back mm-hmm. in her, you know, 
my younger sure. days, I guess. But I mean, I'm pretty staunchly an atheist, I guess. Like, I'm mm-hmm. just like, okay, I don't really, whatever. Thank you, Julia Sweeney, because I think she kind of helped turn me into an atheist. But <laughs> that's a whole other story for a whole other day. Yeah, I was uh, say, that sounds like another episode there. <laughs> <laughs> all I'm saying is, all I'm saying, Julia Sweeney, that's right, from SNL and shit. Um, go watch Letting Go of God, because it like really impacted me at a certain time <laughs> but anyway uh but yeah that, i mean that was my experience i really didn't grow up with it like that mm-hmm. so for me at least like i don't know it's not like i thought like oh yeah these movies are super duper religious or whatever but like i literally was like well i mean that's an aspect in there i guess if anything but yeah no totally and then also like i mean of course like i loved like uh i i love the movie saved like it is so oh, yeah such a serve such a serve i did talk to brian danley for like a half hour before and was able to we're also baltimore guys he's from baltimore i'm from baltimore oh, cool. um yeah yeah and he like based and if you know the you know the movie but like the movie uh-huh. set in baltimore baltimore canadian community in baltimore oh, i don't know that i knew that actually that's interesting it, it is it's set in maryland so like okay. it's supposed to be like maryland it's very canadian uh and, <laughs> but yeah no that movie's so good though but regardless of religious talk though but yeah, this movie, like to me, I was like, yeah, that's what this is, I guess. But if anything, oh, so you talked about that one. So what about in particular with Sister Act 2, though, as well? Oh, yeah. Is there anything in particular that kind of made you be like, wow, this movie, like, what was it about this particular film that was kind of like interesting to you um, where you would be like, I'd want to talk about it with this other gay guy, you know? Yeah. Um, So honestly, like the first, I remember when I was a kid, I would fast forward through a lot of like the mob stuff and um, with the, with Whippy Goldberg's boyfriend and all that, because I was like, and this is boring. I just want the songs. And really that's what I would do for a while. So anything with the sisters kind of, you know, and their little hijinks going to the bar and all that. I just really liked that about the first one. And again, I now I just love, I love it wholly. Like, I think it's, they're both fantastic movies. But but with this one, we actually saw it in theaters right when it was at the end of its run. I remember my parents took us and I think we went like after church uh, one afternoon. And so um, I just remember being so like energized by it and the performances and the singing. And I, you know, I thought it was just like peak, you know, kind of like that nineties, the nineties era with like the hip hop and pop influences and the music and making, you know, this kind of like music about God be really appealing. And that was kind of a thing for me that felt really novel at the time, because a lot of the stuff that I was listening to, you know, exposed to was just church, you know, and church due to, praise and worship team singing it. So there wasn't a lot of like fun, hip performances about, about God. <laughs> so this movie was kind of just a, yeah, it was so novel for me in that way. And it, I was obsessed. I remember whenever we, I got finally got it um, on tape. I wore that shit out. I was like watching it, like performing in my room. Like my mom had caught me performing a couple of times to this she thought it was very entertaining. Um, I was really embarrassed, of course, but um, yeah, it just kind of is one of those movies that stuck with me. And then like, it felt like such a private thing. Like it was something that I just really, really liked. And I didn't know that people, other people liked these movies that much. And now obviously with like hindsight, I, I definitely 
have recognized like their cult status and and all that. So yeah, it just kind of was just one of those special comfort movies for me, particularly the second one. And I would watch that straight through over and over and over again. Absolutely. Yeah. What's cool about it too, is that like, yes, it's good to have watched both of them, but it is fun that you really could watch the second movie like by itself and you'll Mm -hmm. still pretty much get it. Like it's still like, I don't know if it stands alone necessarily, but it kind of does. I actually would argue that it does because yeah, Sure, why not? Again, having the... You don't need all the shit with, like, Harvey Keitel in the first movie, like, really, to understand what the second movie is, which I kind of like, actually. At some point when I do a a Spice World episode, and it's going to happen at some point... Mm, um, As you should. As I should. uh, And I I will do it, but I I also have a a fun story to tell, and that juncture I will not share right now. Um, I'll save it for another day. But but yeah, no, and I I think we'll talk about this movie because, like, there's a certain level of camp that's in this, I feel Uh like absolutely and we could dig into all that and and yeah but as we normally do on the show we're going to go into some production history of the movie figures of the movie things like that um and all that good stuff so let's move into a little bit of that so this is called sister act two back in the habit again love the title because i think it's such a fun play on words it's just like really funny so this came out uh december 10th of 1993 so uh when you're hearing this it will just uh we're just around i think the i am turning into dust as i say this but it is like the 30th anniversary which is ridiculous and crazy um yeah I'm turning into dust as I say it, Ari. I swear to God. <laughs> um, anyway, th- we're looking at a 107-minute runtime. Um, and then this was distributed by Buena Vista Pictures Distribution. So there are girlies who did, you know, Adventures of Babysitting, Romeo Michelle, mm-hmm. all of the kind of more adult fare with Disney. Uh, but this is technically a Disney movie, which is why it's playing right in the background without sound on on Disney Plus. Um, so that's fun. And I think what's nice too is that you could stream this on Disney Plus, and I don't think you're gonna get anything too different from what's on streaming to what is on physical media. It's not like you know, you don't have the Thor as a homo from Adventures of Babysitting. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right, you right. get what I'm saying? So, like, you know, it's not that, it's not that, uh, uh, chopped up or anything really at all. Uh, and then 35 million or I think $38 million budget estimated or so. Um, so, you know, they put some money into this. Now, when we're talking about the opening weekend ranking gross, we're looking at, it was at number three and I gotta look at my phone, but, uh, so it opened with $7,569,219. Uh, so pretty, pretty all right opening. Uh, and then in regards to just like it's domestic gross and all that, we have about 57317000 nine dollars so that's nice and then uh, apparently according to i think box office mojo or something or the numbers or wherever i got this from uh we're looking about 67.3 million estimated i don't really know what i don't know if that's true but okay whatever uh so really all together like when you look this up normally it's about 124 million dollars that this movie grossed overall so not too bad but it is noted that 
well, the first one made $240 million. And so this one kind of paled in comparison, but I'm just like, eat a bag of dicks. Like, what are you talking (laughs) about? Like, whatever. Like, anyway. Okay, and this is the... Okay, you already know I don't fuck with these reviewers like half the time. No offense, (laughs) Trace. No offense, Joe. No offense, anybody. Um, You know, whatever. But 18% on Rotten Tomatoes. I can't do it. That is... I mean, that's a a shame, too. I feel like there's been, um, especially over the last couple of decades like there's been a reappraisal of this in a lot of ways absolutely um, and so i'm just kind of like come on folks let's get some like updated reviews up here to really reflect how the people feel you know exactly i mean like seriously like 18 percent. and you know what's horrible is that this was actually lower i think before which is really fucking annoying but anyway so but you know the audience score has 61 percent. so you know what okay. there you go there you yeah, go. they get it. They get it. <laughs> uh, and then three point one out of five on a letterbox, which is the voice of the people, in my opinion. But yeah, I mean, like, I just don't. I mean, I think this movie, and we could talk a little bit about it too. Uh, I think this movie kind of. I mean, yes, it's like the sequel of it all. I think that this movie also kind of faced a similar challenge to something maybe like Baps did. I did do an episode with about mm. Baps. Have you ever seen that movie? I have it's been years but yeah I, I'm very it's so it. it's so good and I love that movie um and I think it also ran into that a little bit as well because this movie is not exactly made for the majority Caucasian audience let's just yeah. say that much <laughs> but yeah. no, that's you know point. it's I mean it really wasn't but we can get into that too because so then our cast and crew of the movie so our crew we have bill duke um so bill duke is an actor turned director really um so he directed this movie now i don't really know what other notable things he directed to be honest but he is from uh the movie mandy with nick cage he's in that movie Mm. i guess he's either i don't remember who the fuck he is but he's i guess one of the cult members i guess or he's somewhere in there Mm. he's the one he's probably the the one black guy there who knows um (laughs) probably like let's let's be real he was in the predator movie so he was in that movie as well and he was in red dragon so he also is in the hannibal franchise somewhere um which is fun now i I will say this too so i i didn't realize this and i'm just kind of like maybe like there's three credited writers on this movie um so i have james or judy ann mason and then jim uh crookshank now i believe that uh if anything i think jim or and uh or sorry james or and jim crookshank i feel like they were a writing duo of some sort or something like that like i feel like they were because really the only thing i found from them was that they are the same people who did three men and a baby so they Mm -hmm. also wrote that movie and we'll also talk a little bit about the first movie once we get into that because i i have things to say (laughs) our composer for this movie who we have to thank for this wonderful music is miles goodman um some of the things that he did was he was a composer in little shop of horrors and also la bamba as well um just kind of nice and you know shows that he has some range with this because a lot of the songs in here are absolute bangers and then oliver was our cinematographer so our dp he did uh, to be honest i mean i don't know if he's just like a disney like cinematographer or anything he did do freaky friday though he also did mm. Step Brothers um as well he did scooby-doo 2 monsters unleashed and he also did the sequel to bill and ted's excellent adventure which is bogus journey um and i'm a bill and ted boy myself so uh that's nice to hear that's nice to see 
And then also we have three credited editors on here. But to be honest with you, I would really say mostly, well, they all are actual editors. Um, The main editor that was on this movie, I think, is just James Carter. So James Carter is kind of a known editor in the film world. Um, I think he has since passed away now, but he did like Friday, set it off. I think he also worked on Groundhog's Day and 9 to 5. If I'm not mistaken. I think he also did White Chicks when he was an older man. So, but he he did quite a few different movies, some of which are in the black culture, of course. Um, but also, you know, why not? And then my writing is so small. Oh my God. Uh, Pem Herring and then Stuart Papp, I believe, were the other two editors. And they did things like American Pie 2, I think one of them worked on, and also George of the Jungle, I think the other guy worked on. So James Carter did a couple more of those like earlier credits, and then some of these later credits were really from these other two guys. So, uh, but again, when you have a lot of cooks in the kitchen like that, I don't know how to feel about that half the time. I'm just mm-hmm. like, wait a minute, like this could get really jumbled and <laughs> all over the place. But thankfully, I don't think that bogged down this movie too bad. Do you, uh, do you have any thoughts about that kind yeah. of like movie that has that? Yeah, so I I mean, I think it kind of depends because like just, you know, from what I know of the screenwriting process, the filmmaking process, editing, all that. I mean, anyone who can get, you know, their name and credits by contributing at least a little bit, like I get that that's, you know, maybe a reason sometimes why you see like so many writers or so many editors or whatever the case is. And it can be messy, but I think generally um, you can kind of tell in just kind of the structure of the film or the cuts or, you know, you know, if it's something where, oh, there were way too many people with their hands on this. And I don't I don't feel that way in this movie at all. Um, granted, I mean, I've seen it a ton. And so maybe even if there are any weird editing things, like I'm just so like I've just, uh, I guess, assimilated those <laughs> into my, you know, my knowledge of the movie. And like, it's like a quirk or something. So. Right. Yeah, yeah, so uh yeah, that's kind of how I feel about that. Oh yeah, no, totally. And and there's something to be said for that for sure. Um, so that's like our crew for the movie, um, you know, kind of notable folks as well. Um, now I mean in this uh particular situation with our cast. So again, this is a sequel, um, but we have Whoopi Goldberg in my notes. I literally just says that she has a damn egot, like she she just does. That's <laughs> yeah, all I have does. to say. I mean, come on. Like, le- anyway, so yeah. So Whoopi Goldberg, there's no there's no explanation. Like, she's Whoopi Goldberg. Come on. Kathy Jimmy, I'm horrible. And I just put in my notes, Mayama Peggy Hill. Um, <laughs> she is not just, to me, she will always be Peggy Hill. I mean, oh, come yeah. on. Nothing wrong oh, with that. We love Peggy Hill. She's we love best. Peggy Hill. Um, she might not know Spanish to save her life, but God damn it, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I also, I because you and your husband also lived in Texas for like a long, long time. And you both are from yeah. there, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I can only imagine that Mike Judge, I think, was probably with that character and really those characters in general, definitely commenting on some of the people that you get from Texas. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. And then he does that too oh, in yeah. uh, Beavis, Beavis and Butthead, which I'm also a huge oh. fan of. Oh, completely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Where's that set? Um, I, I was in Beavis Butthead kid. So I don't know. 
the movies, I would say the newest, the revival of it, not that we're meant to talk about that, but <laughs> the revival uh, seasons have been so good. Um, and the newest movie, I think, is really fun. So if you've ever I not been like, because Trace never, never liked uh, that type of humor and he's liked all the newer stuff. So I'm like, okay, thank you for yeah. uh, uh, seeing my perspective. <laughs> right, right. I was going to say, uh, is it set in any particular place or is it just anywhere USA? And no, it's set in Texas. Um, they, oh, really? they, li- they live in a town called Highland. Um, which is oh, actually okay. a like an Austin reference. There's some neighbor like neighborhoods and oh, places cute. with the name Highland. So I guess it's meant okay. to be like maybe on the outskirts of like an Austin or something. Sure, let's go with that. Yeah. Also, Ari, I don't know if you know my show, but uh, tangents are welcome on here. <laughs> so <it's laughs> I just fine. always feel bad. I do it all the time with any appearance. It's just really it's easy to get excited, you know. Oh, it's all good. I literally talk about cult movies, some that are trash and some that are wonderful. So I mean, I I welcome it. Sometimes um, they're one and the same. <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> and we love our trash okay anyway so then maggie smith also she's a professor at Mag- uh, she's a professor at hogwarts she's not just a professor at hogwarts but <laughs> you know she also is just a bad bitch and she's like day maggie smith like come on like i mean let's be real here i also put james coburn on here for some reason um i don't mm-hmm. know i mean sure like he plays the does he play the principal in this movie god damn it who is he again Oh God. So he is, uh, yes, he is. He's that the, guy. I guess, like the superintendent. Um, the yeah. one who's really, yeah, he's uh, Mr. Crisp. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Uh huh. Yep. He's in Monsters Inc. and then a professor. So that's fun. Of course, uh, Lauren Hill. This is her screen debut, film debut. Um, and I put in my notes that she uh, won five Grammys because she absolutely did. She did, <laughs> so. and that album's fantastic. So. And that album is think, so good. Yeah. Think what you will about her over the years, but she she can sing and problematic fave has, Lauren Hill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, but she's a great this movie i think personally and then we also have alana ubach in this movie uh you and me were messaging a little bit i have in my notes that she's in the brady bunch movie um Mm -hmm. which she is but also i mean my god you literally uh, yes i mean like oh god alana ubach i love her so much you said she's the unsung mvp of any movie she's in and i 100 percent agree with that she just she is. is yeah she's one of those character actresses i think in like the 90s and in the early aughts that like oh i just God. always followed like i just really love seeing her yeah. pop- she wasn't like um popping up in legally blonde as mm-hmm. one of the friends with reese's yeah. friends she and then recently she's been in euphoria and she is yes yeah, she is yeah she is i'm not a euphoria girly like that but yes she is mm-hmm. oh my god like a, a lot of, i could go on about a lot of ubok because i love her so much like She's in Freeway. Freeway. Um, I was about to say that. Yeah. Oh, she's so. She's in Freeway. <laughs> she hams it up in Freeway, but it's so good. And I just love that character. And she oh, gets the so shit beat out of her. <laughs> she gets the shit beat out of her. It's so good. Oh my God. Freeway and fucking. Have you watched Clock Watchers before? I haven't. No. I know. I know should, about it, but I've never watched you it. You should watch it. It's really good. She plays um, one of the temps at the place. So Tony Collette. Lisa mm-hmm. Kudrow, Parker Posey, and Alana Ubach all play temps Ooh. who work at an insurance company or whatever. And um, 
it's so fucking good oh god i love everyone that watch clock watchers please because not clock stoppers that's with jesse bradford not that one clock watchers um and you know what's i haven't watched listen talk about my judge um i haven't watched office space i'm sure it's a good movie like don't get me mm-hmm. wrong but people always want to say like oh clock watchers is like the female um office space or whatever and i'm just like why y'all gotta do that like don't why can't you just let something why don't um, why do you, i'm not saying it's diminishing it but i'm just like why do you gotta say that like it also came out before let's be real here it also came out before office space did so let's get that first mm-hmm. and then also like fuck you like it's a perfectly good movie on its own don't say like oh it's like the female office space fuck you yeah i think that that's really just kind of reducing it to a certain type of movie and like taking away like the talent and like the different approaches and again i haven't yeah. seen it but I, that oh, I, I think it's amazing. I, I think it's great. It's so good. Um, Kitty Foreman plays like the HR manager in that movie. Oh my god, it's 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 decent. Please watch it. It streams. Yeah, it's, adding it to yeah. my list. Please do. Yeah, it's like that, and then like or like Romy Michelle being like, you know, oh the female Dumb and Dumber. I'm like, y'all need to fuck out oh, here with my that. God. Like that movie is so beyond out of here with that, that description. Yeah, I hate it's that. A- that's yes. Not right. Oh my God. I'm sorry. We uh, we can get into it, but we're not going to <laughs> on this one because I can't. Because I just fucking hate that. Like uh, anyway. Yeah. Also, Michael Jeter's in this movie. Um, and in my notes, he is Mr. Noodle. God damn it. And I'll tell you this much because I did message you about this. I literally, okay, so he plays the guidance counselor in this movie. He plays one of the friars, whatever they call male people that aren't nuns. Yeah. I never quite got that. I never, I just was like, oh, he's the cute one. He's so nice. Yes, like, he's just, so nice. Yeah. But he's Mr. Noodle from Elmo's World uh, or Sesame Street, whatever the hell. He did that later in his life. Um, but I messaged you and I was like, I knew it. I was like, I knew he was gay. I knew it because I looked him up and then I was like, you. I then found out that he literally was. Uh, he's since passed away, unfortunately, due to uh, complications with HIV. But uh, so rest in peace. But like, he actually, he was a gay man. Like, and he had a partner and everything like that. Like, I was like, I knew Mr. Noodle was gay. I knew it. I felt vindicated when he I just watched gives that. The vibes. Yeah. And I love that. I love, you know, <laughs> that's the thing with this type of movie too, is like, I think it kind of works really well in coding, you know, for, for those of us that need oh, yeah. to see like the softer man, you know, the, oh, yeah. whatever. Uh, yeah. Not that I would ever call myself a soft person, but uh, like as a kid, it was just kind of nice. Like, you know, soft, you gravitate. feminine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We have, yeah. you know, but we have our, like, you know, our antennas go up whenever we feel like, Oh, I get that person in a different way. You know, that's kind of a, I think it's. Oh, as soon as I saw him. Oh, as soon as I saw him and as soon as I heard him, I was like, oh my God, he's gay. I got to find him. He's gay. And I I found (laughs) him. Yes, I did. I really did. Yeah, so that's like the cast. We also have other people in here too. I mean, of course, like, you know, um, Ryan Toby is in this movie as well. Mm -hmm. He plays Amal. He's the guy who has the iconic like high note in this movie. Yes. <laughs> um mm-hmm. do you also know what else he did? He was in City High. Yes. He I did do, the no, song I, Yeah. What would you do if your song was at home? Yeah that yes. That, yeah. He's that I, guy. I remember when I recognized that that was him, I was just like Sister Act too. Like yay, I'm so glad like these people are having careers mm. and it's just it was very um yeah know, and he's really also happy. he yes he he did that so he's the what would you do if your son was at home guy he's the guy who wrote that <laughs> with another guy um and then a, a woman as well who were part mm-hmm. of city high but also he has written songs for usher and justin bieber and stuff so like he's still performing he's still doing his thing so 
Also, Lauren Hill is currently on my screen, and I'm just like, yes, bitch, yes. <laughs> I'm just saying, yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, and my little fun facts I have for this movie. I mean, obviously, for example, like at the same time of filming this movie, Whoopi was doing her voices for The Lion King because this movie came out a year before that. So uh-huh. I wouldn't be surprised if around that time, especially since this, you know, that was the animated movie she did, you probably do the recording a little bit earlier, obviously. So it makes sense that she would do that. Apparently, James Coburn had really bad arthritis. So if you notice in this movie, they don't really show his hands a whole lot, probably because they were fucking like shaking and arthritic. So that doesn't, that's not good. Um, that, that's that's not great. Uh, it's off film. brand for the film. We don't. Yeah, we don't need. I to guess be so. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry that I'm sorry that you're an older man and you literally have bad arthritis. So we're just gonna like cover your hands and not show them very much. <laughs> Good, good thing. I get it. Two of the students of this movie, um, so uh, specifically David Cater and then Dee Dee um, Magno, uh, they were actually in the before times of Britney and Justin and all that. They were on the all-new Mickey Mouse Club. So this was back in the 80s and early 90s, before you had like Christina Aguilera and all them on there. Um, mm. Although I do that think... Although I do think that probably one of them was still on there when they were on there. If you want to have fun, everybody, please go on YouTube and just look up all the Mickey Mouse like intros, <laughs> because I definitely did that before, and it's a fucking trip. I really like it. No, it's it. hilarious. I, it's, it's, it's such so a funny. moment in time that it's just like, Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yeah I, I i do love like that kind of era of stuff because i was a big i'm a big pop boy i grew up like loving yes. all the pop acts and so seeing everyone come out yeah. of that i was like hell yeah look at you know i know i'm it, it, just say do yourself a favor watch all the theme songs where they all say their names it's so funny and also Whoopi goldberg uh because nepotism is just everything um her daughter alex <laughs> uh is one of the students in the uh the the music class which makes total sense also because her she doesn't look like her really very much. Mm-hmm. It's not like they have like a family resemblance or anything. So it makes sense to just throw your daughter in there. Psh, I would shit. Why not? And also the director of this movie, because he is a, uh, an actor. He is also uh, in the movie. He plays the street sweeper um, when a mall is like on the street or something like that. And there's like a street sweeper who's like sweeping the sidewalk. He says like, you need to go, you need to get out of here or whatever. That's oh, literally the director get a job, of the movie. Boy. Yeah. He works yes. outside of the, the, the That's him. Right. That is him. Yes. Uh, but yeah, it's a little bit about my little like information about the movie. Now we got to talk a little bit about, before we move in any kind of like, you know, a little bit of plot breakdown or any of that kind of shit we're going to do today. Um, you know, we got to talk a little bit about the first film of this, you know, particular series, I guess, because it this is a sequel, you know, so obviously we do have to talk a little bit about it. So really, the way that this movie came to be. I will also say, too, this movie was actually, oh, was it not produced by him? Okay, good. Maybe it wasn't. I was going to say, I thought this was a Scott Rudin production, and I don't think it is, but it actually might be, though. Wait a minute. Let me look real quick. Oh, oh yeah. This is, oh, God damn it. So the first one was not a Scott Rudin production, technically. This movie is. Also, we hate Scott Rudin. He's a piece of shit, you know, but he made some banger movies, though. Like, I will say that, but, you know. He can fuck all the way off. Uh, but, uh, I'm, you know, I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> and you know, and I said this about Brian Singer too. Like, mm-hmm. I literally said this, like, uh, when I talked about Trick or Treat. And I was like, the worst thing to me is also that he's gay. Like, cause I'm like, we don't, uh, we don't claim you. Like, we do not claim you. You're a piece of shit. 
and you made some good movies, I guess, or like whatever. But like, it makes it worse that you're gay because we cannot claim you. Like, ew, go away. Anyway, yeah, it's re- especially with those allegations too. I'm like, thanks for propagating like all of these terrible stereotypes that we, many of us, have tried for years and years to. Yeah. To- yeah, well, Brian Singer definitely did that um, because he's a piece of shit. Um, mm-hmm. And then also with Scott uh, Rudin, he's just more so an awful employer. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if he had, he might have had sexual allegations against him, who knows. But it really, it was just more so that he was just a fucking horrible boss. And he uh, cultivated a, a not great work environment. Not the same, but like, not like Jimmy Fallon, but like, you know, he just wasn't a good employer um which doesn't help either (laughs) anyway but the first movie though the first movie though i mean really this movie came about really i mean from what i could understand at least uh paul rudnick who is wonderful and a gay man and wrote again banger movies sister act adam silly values in and out all these good things he really brought this uh he pitched it to scott rudin in 1987 um and he had bet in mind for the role of i guess dolores or sister mary france uh sister mary uh what's her name oh my god i'm in mary clarence there you go. Um, <laughs> and it fits. It makes complete sense how they would have Bette Midler on, you know, on tap to want to do this. or mm-hmm. Especially because by that time, I mean, she would have been about to be in Beaches, which I think was also, was that a Bonavista movie? I feel like it was. Oh, God. It I might actually have don't know. Let's see. Oh, yeah. Look at that up real quick. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, anyway. So, Bette Midler, right? Like, you know, she was kind of thought of to be the the lead right uh, which makes total sense however yeah, she turned it was, distrib- the- it was distributed by buena vista and that uh, makes- produced by touchstone as well that makes total sense yeah yeah which is why i think you can get it in the uk on disney plus but for some reason they don't have it on disney plus here which i just think is a little weird but oh whatever, yeah it's very- fine I know, right? That makes no sense. Anyway, she turned that down, though, feeling that her fans would not want to see her play a nun. Um, which, I mean, I guess, like, her fans are, like, women and gays. So, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> but whatever. But, yeah. So, eventually, though, Whoopi Goldberg uh, signed on to play the lead. Um, and as this commenced, though, uh, as the production commenced, the script itself was rewritten by a bunch of different people, including Carrie Fisher, who did work as a script doctor before, Robert Harling, and also Nancy Myers. And with this movie no longer resembling his original script, uh, Rudnick actually uh, asked to be credited with a pseudonym in this film, um, deciding on Joseph Howard, which is why this movie was technically written by joseph howard i guess but it's actually paul Mm -hmm. rudnick so he didn't do the alan smithy necessarily uh Mm -hmm. but you know he did the lona williams when sugar and spice came out you know what i mean which really actually it's kind of for the same reason actually It, it was just so different than what he envisioned it to be that he was just like yeah you could still i still want to get my credit a little bit but i don't want my name on this movie because you changed my shit so yeah Makes sense. There you go. Makes total sense. But yeah, I mean, that's like how the first movie came to be. And then probably just because like Whoopi Goldberg is fucking great, honestly. And I think that movie is just so good and wonderful. I mean, oh yeah. 
you know, this movie seemed to do pretty well in regards to, you know, um, positive reception and everything. Some of the things we have, like uh, Roger Ebert gave it two and a half out of four stars. He wrote the Goldberg and Wicks, um, who that is. Oh, gosh, wait a minute. She is one of the. the, the Oh, Mary Lazarus. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. The grumpy one. Uh, the grumpy one that was the choir uh, nun before, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, they both offered humorous performances, but the film overall plays like a missed opportunity due to slow pacing and trouble integrating the organized crime scenes into a comedy film. So that was something he said, at least. Uh, which, again, I kind of understand that because, yeah, how do you make that funny, I guess? But <laughs> I, I really don't think that movie hinges on those scenes really at all i think it's more so about just like the relationship between the sisters and all that stuff Mm -hmm. you know what i mean that's what it really seems like more for me um as a viewer if anything and also some fun little things too so a controversy in like uh lawsuits um so of sister act so apparently donna douglas who's an actor and her partner they filed a two million dollar uh 200 million dollar lawsuit against the walt disney corporation Whoopi goldberg bet midler and their companies and creative um caa um agency they claimed that the uh film was plagiarized from the book a nun in the closet uh, which was owned by the partners um and so douglas and wilson argued that in 1985 they had developed a screenplay for the book which had been submitted to Disney, uh, Goldberg, and Midler three times during 1987 and 1988. Um, and they noted un, uh, over 100 similarities between the movies and the book screenplay as evidence of plagiarism. Uh, and in 1994, Douglas and Wilson declined a $1 million offer in order to win the case. Uh, the judge found in favor of Disney and the other defendants, and Wilson stated at the time that they would have had to copy our stuff verbatim for us to prevail. Which, okay, I mean, sure, I guess. You know, that doesn't sound the best. It doesn't sound very off to Disney, honestly. Uh, Disney has its dealings, if anything. Cool company, maybe, I guess. But mm, they could treat their employees better, probably, at the parks. that's still an issue a little bit <laughs> yep. anyway um and then also uh in 2011 uh a nun named uh delois bailey also uh filed a lawsuit against the disney uh, corporation and sony pictures who claimed that the harlem street nun an autobiography she wrote in a 1987 was the basis for the 1992 film now that seems like i'm gonna get to that in a minute because she alleged that a film executive expressed an interest in a movie rights after she wrote a three-page synopsis and she sued for breach of contract misappropriation of likeness and unjust unjust enrichment but she dropped the original lawsuit in january 2012 to get a more better lawsuit or to get a better lawsuit later that year uh, asking for one billion dollars in damages from disney Jeez. I mean, they and in 2013, it, so <laughs> sure. And in 2013, the Supreme Court for New York dismissed the lawsuit with prejudice, awarding no damages to Blakely. I mean, listen, that sounds like some Elvira shit to me, or like some like Paz de la Huerta type shit. Hey, I love Paz de la Huerta. Don't worry. I listened oh to that gosh. episode about Nurse 3D, Nurse, and I've watched yes. Enter- and I've watched Enter the Void. Listen. Oh, I'm I'm covering Nurse on the show too. Don't you worry. That's coming because it's going to have an anniversary soon. <laughs> good, good. Oh, Jesus Christ! That movie is kind of amazing. Oh, but that is see, like that sounds like to me like a little. 
a little bit different like oh excuse me i want a billion dollars because you ripped off my script that i uh, you ripped off my story i wrote okay all right delois i don't know about that yeah i don't know if she had a leg to stand on with that i i don't know about that again sounds like some of irish shit a little bit I'm just saying, like, Mylon Ermey, what are you doing? Like, I don't... Anyway, but that's the first movie, though. So, I mean, duh, bitch. Like, this movie did really well, <laughs> uh, yep. money-wise. So they were like, uh, hey, yo, let's make another movie, um, obviously. And so this movie was put into production really quickly, which is kind of a, if anything, it's kind of a criticism of the movie, because people say that it is very rushed, which sure maybe kind of sort of i could see it because again it really did come out like the next year which Mm -hmm. is crazy to me but yeah i mean if anything i'm trying to see if there's any like fun information or anything like that but yeah no i mean but this movie came out because the first one did good so you know there's that and then also like i don't know like this movie seemed to just be like hey let's put dolores van cartier she's like gonna do a service now (laughs) she's Mm -hmm. just gonna like go undercover as a nun uh let's put her in a school right but yeah oh we also forgot to uh, we also forgot to mention though during the casting part that the patron saint that is jennifer love hewitt is in this movie and she was like 14 when she was in it What what a blessing uh, yeah, I thought that we were just saving that because it's so important. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but it is. At some point. Oh, God. I mean, listen, Julie James kind of is not the greatest final girl. However, Jennifer Love Hewitt, amazing. Like, Love her. On. Yes, we love her. Should have <laughs> been Helen, but that's fine. We love, we love J-Love. <laughs> we do love J-Love and other things. You know, it's fine. But yeah, no, I I think like, I think this movie though, so yeah, it got, I think a big part of this, so there is some good, there are some good articles about this movie. I think one of them I'll shout out real quick. Um, One is from And Escape is what it looks like, uh, which is How Did Sister Act 2 Become a Classic Musical uh, by David J. uh, Dennis Jr., which was done back in 2019. Um, So, you know. I'll pull from a little bit of stuff that I found from it. But, you know, with Sister Act 2, so, I mean, it didn't technically do as good financially or whatever, um, and it did worse critically, if anything. But what I also think, though, is that I don't think people were, like, ready for this movie at that time. I don't know, because what it seems like, at least, so I'm reading this from the wiki page, um, but I think a lot of this does come from these different articles I looked at. So at the time of its release, this movie was panned by film critics. However, it began to resurface in syndication as people like Jennifer Love Hewitt and Lauren Hill became like cultural mm-hmm. like icons, you know, yeah. um, in the 90s. And it's also been reassessed over the years by modern journalists and is considered a standard in black cinema, which I can agree with. Um, I just said that David uh, Dennis Jr., he proclaims that the, quote, uh, cultural impact of Sister Act 2 is felt across movies, music, and even even your Sunday church services. Yep. And then Rotten Tomatoes referred to the movie as a landmark for diversity for film uh, released in its time and a showcase of representation in uh, mainstream American movies. Furthermore, the film has received praise by Vice as a work of art whose ambition and execution redefined what sequels can do. And then also some of this information as well comes from that uh, David, uh, David, David, 
Dennis Jr. article, where along with this movie, along with um, gospel musician Kirk Franklin, um, has been credited with helping to usher in a new era of gospel music that made the genre more palpable to a wider audience by incorporating hip-hop and rhythm and blues. So Selena Johnson said that, quote, Sister Act 2 was part of the movement to bring all of that mainstream. Uh, The film's popularity seemingly uh, led to a spike in interesting glee clubs and choirs, which we'll talk about. Because, um, yeah, they even talk about how it's a precursor to something like Joyful Noise, Glee, obviously, and all of this. In Japan, apparently, this inspired the creation of nearly 30 choirs in the country. And entertainer Ken Taylor stated that, quote, what happened was the business in Japan, who was quick to adopt these fads, started offering offering uh, gospel choir lessons. It wasn't the church, but the community centers that had these choirs. Um, so here were non-Christians, because of their own whole lot of Christians in Japan, because a lot of them are like, Buddhists or like, you know, whatever they practice in the Asian countries. So you have some Christians over there, but not a bunch saying that they wanted to sing like the nuns in the movie, which I guess makes sense. <laughs> like, why not? God, what else is there? Yeah. And I think also just having someone like Lauren Hill in this movie too, I think she definitely being somebody, I mean, she was this person who, you know, God, what was it? Did she go on the Apollo or something like that? She was on a TV show back in the day. She got booed. Mm-hmm. You can like find that shit online. And she was just like, nope, I'm still going to sing, bitch. Uh, and this movie just shows that as well. But people really cite her. Like Janelle Monet has said that it was a source of inspiration for her acting career. Like if Lauren Hill mm-hmm. could have done it, I could do it. Katy Perry said the only secular music she was allowed to listen to was like this film's accompanying soundtrack, apparently. <laughs> I which feel is kind that. of funny. <laughs> right. Apparently, uh, Harry Styles has said that uh, Ryan Toby's singing in this movie was like, you know, an inspiration for him to pursue a music career. Sure. Why not? Oh, and also like Jennifer Hudson has said a few things too. you know, a friend of friend of the show, Jennifer Hudson, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if anything, oh, and this is also in Broad City, too. That's kind of fun. Did you watch mm-hmm. Broad City at all? I did. I love Broad City. Apparently, yeah. School with uh, Ilana. Oh, look at you. Love that. Yeah. So then Joyful Joyful was reenacted in the Game Over episode. That's kind of fun. Yeah. But I think if anything, like, yeah, I mean, I think before... Well, okay. So let's let's give the listeners a little little something. Ari, um, in a way, there's not a time limit on it in this or anything. But mm-hmm. if you had to explain to somebody who's never seen this movie before what this movie is about, how would you describe Sister Act 2? Um, not, well, again, I don't want to reduce it to like <laughs> this version of that, but I would say it is it is an inspirational story about a let's see. A friend of the church who has her own uh, unique approaches to teaching and basically wrangles kids at this school that's, you know, kids at a school where they don't have a lot of maybe support or resources that other schools do, finding them or getting them to really kind of engage in their passion for music and singing. And uh, it turns out they're all very good at it. (laughs) So at least all the ones in the music class. So, yeah, I guess that's my, you know, my broad strokes uh, description there. 
Sure, I like that one. That's that's very good. I think if anything, like, yeah, this movie is pretty much about Dolores Van Cartier. She was a lounge singer. Go see the first sister act, I guess. But pretty much she is brought on by the church that she was a part of beforehand um, because they've all moved over to be teachers in a Catholic school, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. in San Francisco. And so there's this unruly class of music people who think that it's just like easy class that they're going to like pass in and because a bird course. Yes. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So it like cakewalk, whatever. And uh, Dolores is like, no, I'm not going to do that. So sister Mary Clarence, you know, she goes under. Yeah. Like pretty much just shows them like, Hey, you know what? Like, you need to be about it, like either put up or shut up kind of a thing, like, you Mm -hmm. know, like do it. And yeah, she fosters these kids love and interest in music where they are able to, you know, win and triumph, which is really wonderful. And they end up saving their school in the end, which is really cool Mm -hmm. too. So that's like the baseline understanding or the baseline of just like fake nun gets put into school and helps the children learn how to love music and to harness their inner strength and their inner power, if anything. Which is so, it's so interesting too, like that this is the direction they went after the first, because the first had some like, you know, some kind of like tense drama as part of it, just given that she escaped a mobster who wants her dead. Exactly. And, and and the nun, you know, the convent ends up being her safe haven. And it's kind of like, oh, we went from there and like, a, you know, a gun, a little, you know, someone gets shot at the end of the first one. And this one is just completely like, no, we're going to keep it light and fluffy here. No, absolutely. And I, I think that really helped it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because like I was saying a little earlier, the scenes with um the the mob and Harvey Keitel and all that stuff, it it feels different. It never gets deep like that. It never gets right. like to this weird, like fucking, you know, mob story. It's mm-hmm. not that, but it's also just like it's just different. There's an interesting tone going on, whereas I think this tone is a lot more consistent if anything so i can mm-hmm. really appreciate that um okay. which is nice yeah totally it's why i think uh, this one should have should have like i'm surprised it wasn't as successful yeah. in hindsight i guess just because it just is more of like like i could see younger people and families being really more into this one oh, because yeah. again like let's get like me skipping past all of the mob parts when i first would watch the original you know like right. this is just cut this cuts cr- directly to the good stuff you know no totally totally and it's really about the kids more so i think that was the other thing about this film is that the first film is not about kids it's about dolores who has this kind of like you know life that she's not exactly happy in um Mm -hmm. but you know she's a singer in reno you know so like she's not doing the best i guess but she's living and uh, she gets put into hiding, and and she's able to find she's able to find herself more, and she's able to discover, you know, how she gets to teach these nuns her talent and her gift. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, and that's like so super cool. And I think she does the same thing in this movie with these kids. But I think it's like to your point, Ari. Though, like this movie really latches on to the kids and their whole kind of and to their whole kind of like journey through this. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like oh these poor kids, but it's really just like you were saying. These kids are in the middle of San Francisco, and it is made a point that like this neighborhood is not the same as it was. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, which we could still say about San Francisco today. You know what I mean? <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's one of the highest populations of unhoused, you know, people, and it's super expensive to live there. And that doesn't 
help either. So it's right. like, I'm sure you're also seeing that it's obviously gentrification, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. Full House is a farce. So, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, you know, uh, but it is, however slight it is, it is there's a little bit of comment there if anything because it's saying oh this is not like it was before mm-hmm. um and the first one was kind of a little bit saying that too as well because it was also set in san francisco so fair enough which a lot of these shots in san francisco are so beautiful oh my god it's like princess diaries kind of thing because that was also mm-hmm. shot in like san francisco too i was just like oh the city like it just looks so nice and I then you're like san francisco <laughs> when i visit but yeah but we we almost ended up in that area and it's like I'm really glad we didn't because how would we live? Because <laughs> we probably wouldn't. <laughs> right. I just just saying, you'd have to like live in a suburb. You know, wouldn't be able to live in the proper. Yep. It's not going to happen. Exactly. And even that is a whole other thing. Anyway, but yeah. So, but that is in this movie, even how slight I feel like. Yeah. Because it's never about like, oh, poor kids. Oh, these poor inner city kids. I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what you think about this, but I mean, I don't know. I didn't go to an inner city school, so I have no real context or personal experience for it. But I don't know. I feel like they handled that, if anything. I don't know. They handle it fine. I don't ever think it was handled untactfully, really. I think it was. I mean, I think it's very reflective of a lot of the types of films around then. And it was a little less white savior-y than for a number of reasons than some of the other ones are like like music know, of the like, heart almost <laughs> yeah i'm thinking or i'm thinking even like stand by me which even that or, or i'm sorry lean on me which is um uh you know kind of similar in the sense of like teacher coming in and this is a troubled school and you know that dangerous minds type of setup so it kind of is is that you know in that vein but not not quite um because i do think you know what i really appreciate about this movie is the ensemble of young actors like their rapport and the ways that they kind of like jab at each other and the ways they talk about, you know, expectations of them. Like people think that we're not going to do anything. So there's, it's not even like, Oh God, look at these kids. Like they're in need of saving. They're aware of that. And I think it really touches on the systemic nature of like, when you're in these cycles, you know, in, in certain areas, it's hard to get out of it. It's hard to, it's hard to think of a life beyond what your reality is right in front of you, especially if you have parents who struggled, which is, you know, Shirley Ralph, Lauren Hill's mom. Ah, oh, love. Yeah, she's amazing. She's <laughs> so good. Um, and she's just like her look. I remember I was so scared of her. I was like, oh my God, if she was my mom, I'd be terrified all the time. But she and she's so sweet in um Abbott Elementary. But anyway, uh yeah. she she's fantastic. And but it's like very clear, like your dad died trying to become a musician. He didn't end, mm-hmm. end up making anything in his life, and he ended up kind of spiraling, which it's a thing that happens, you know, if you're an aspiring artist. One of the things, one of the one of the lines that kind of got me as well, which again, I don't know if it goes as deep, but like, you know, saying there's plenty of talented people on the street. Yeah. And just having that line in there is like, Oh, Oh God. Like Mm -hmm. that's very true. Like as somebody who went to theater school and did not pursue that whatsoever, really, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. you know, it, yeah, you end up finding something else to do because you're like, how am I gonna, 
how would I even do that? Like, how would I even mm-hmm. be a musician? How would I be an actor? How would I do these things? And not saying you can't do it, but I'm just saying, like, you got to be realistic, you know? Mm-hmm. And the odds um, are stacked against you if, like, your goal is. is, I want to be, you know, a movie star or I want to yeah. be a top, you know, a top, top 40 singer. I think yeah. that that's, um, you know, like, I, I mean, again, I went to school working in music industry for a bit. And, um, yeah you know, to make a career out of that, it requires a lot of sacrifice. So I get where they're coming from. And right. it really actually kind of pushes this idea of like, well, if you want to do something, it has to be practical. You can't, like, why follow yeah. your dreams of doing, you know, exploring art or exploring like the new knowledge? Why don't you just go mm-hmm. become a doctor or a lawyer? Oh, right. if not, then just at least have a job somewhere nearby so we can pay the bills. So it's kind of like stripped yeah. of joy. I mean, and I think that that's, this movie does a really good job of, contrasting that with just like the joy you get watching them perform as they're getting you know better at their craft and Mm -hmm. and just at the end like it's just a spectacle where you're just smiling i remember smiling so hard when i first saw yeah yeah because they also have like are there any particular notable scenes um because i want to keep the conversation going obviously i don't want to take you know this could turn into like a three-hour conversation honestly but uh are there any notable scenes that kind of stick out in your head for this mm-hmm. movie that just really, um, yeah, that it just like resonate with you or that, you know, like I said, I think uh, the scenes with Lauren Hill and Shirley Ralph um, as mm-hmm. mother daughter, uh, any of those scenes that's playing right now where uh, she literally says that line, I was just said, uh, mm-hmm. it's that scene, but is there anything in particular that stands out to you um any of these scenes that are like yeah. you know impactful or i guess know, be, beyond the obvious like for entertainment value like of course i love all the performances i think they're fantastic really well executed um i there's one scene it's so funny so whenever um rita lauren hill's character and tanya are uh, tanya's practicing a solo for church and she's singing uh, his eyes on the sparrow and then rita ends up singing with her and um sister mary robert the the nun with the big voice um overhears them and you know basically it's like just interrupts them while they're rehearsing and it's kind of like this moment where you just feel like holy shit like this girl can sing and together they just sound so beautiful and so that part i remember for me was like something about it was just really inspiring i think and and then the, it kind of leads into whenever um dolores talks to rita and basically saying like what's your deal why do you have such an attitude with me like why can't you just get on board with this clearly you have talent and she she gives her uh she talks about what is it letters to a young poet rainer maria rilke and uh talks about like a uh, pardon a uh, pardon it but it's like don't ask me about becoming a writer if you want to be a writer if you wake up one day and you decide i'm a writer then you're a writer like don't ask someone else for their approval to explore your you know like explore your dreams and really pursue that and so if you if you wake up in the morning and all you can think about is singing you're supposed to be a singer so i love that because i remember it being so like i've always been a creative and in my own time you know like i've tried to make careers out of it here and there but you know, it's something that's always been deeply personal. And I think there's, in a lot, especially in like, uh, I think about families of color too. Like I, you know, how I grew up in a town of mostly black and brown people, um, mostly brown people. Um, but really the, there's this idea of like, you have to prove yourself by having this really successful, um, you know, kind of like normal career. And so the idea of doing, exploring things that are not typical, like wanting to do writing, wanting to sing, 
it's kind of shut down as not realistic. And that's, that really spoke to me because I was like, this is like giving me permission to like own that part of me that loves creativity. And I think about that a lot, actually. It's like, oh yeah, I can just, I decide like what I am. Like I decide, especially if I spend so much time thinking about films, you know, thinking about writing, why wouldn't that be a big part of my identity? Why is that something that I have to kind of put aside for the sake of becoming an adult? So I actually have carried that with me for a really long time. Uh, so silly as it is. Yeah, it's been very inspiring to me. I don't think it's silly at all, really. I think like it's not that. I mean, part of it is like, yeah, if you want to do something, then go do it, you know, and and you should pursue it. You know, my podcast in particular, you know, I mean, I did this when I was unemployed at one point and I just decided to start it and I've been able to be consistent on something that I really am not all that consistent on anything in my life half the mm-hmm. time, except with working and like paying bills and shit. Um, but like, you know, the fact that I've been able to make a show like this and do it for you know, 70 plus episodes now is, is really cool. And it's something I can mm-hmm. take pride in and feel like I have been able to do something cool and I'm, I'm happy to do that. So, you know, it's like, but anything, whether it's doing a podcast, whether it's like starting a theater company, whether it's like pursuing an acting career or like whatever the fuck, you know, go do it because you're like, you, you get enjoyment out of it because you, yeah it feeds something in you. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that that this movie in particular too, does dip into that, you know, Mm -hmm. more so I don't think the first movie did as much really. No, the first movie was more. Yeah. Yeah. It was different. It was more about the narrative of like, keeping the secret Mm -hmm. of she's not really a nun. I think exactly being free of that and having everyone know, well, everyone who matters, you know, all the, all the sisters, be aware mm-hmm. of that and support her. I think it leaves a lot more space to explore other things, which is why I yeah. really, I really think I, that's why I probably uh, resonated more with it just because yeah. I, the themes made sense to me in my life as a kid. No, of know? course. Yeah. That's totally fair. That's totally fair. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other particular scenes that, you know, kind of stand out to me or whatever. I do love that scene with um, sister Mary Robert, who is one of my favorite characters. I love her so much. Oh, yeah, um, she's adorable. <laughs> she's so adorable. And also just like, I don't know. It's just nice that like, oh, like Sister Mary Clarence helped me, you know, and I think she could help you too, you know, and and just in doing that. I think that's like really cool. Yeah, I think there's that. I also love, um, but there's also like a fair amount of, we also got to talk about the fact as well. So yeah, we talked about some of the scenes and and all this. Um, Some of the characters, um, do you have a particular favorite character or anything in this movie that you like? Oh gosh, yeah. Um, so I I always will love Sister Mary Patrick, um, Peggy Hill. I think she's yes. just she's so Kathy joyful. Anytime mm-hmm. Kathy and Jimmy's on screen, she just like makes you smile, especially how playful yeah. she is. And this it's just so it's like so cute to see someone in her position just be it's again, it's like that good vibes only, which you know, toxic positivity, yeah. it does it does exist. And it does. <laughs> and also, like, in this reality, she's just such a foil to so many people. Like, it's just, she's, mm-hmm. her energy is just infectious. So anytime she's on screen, I, I love seeing her. I'll always I love, love Sister Mary Robert. I was in love with her in the first movie. I thought she's just amazing. And I know that's not her yeah. actual voice, but it's like, I right. look at that actor, Wendy McKenna, and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> right. 
you're it girl like she was uh, she's just fantastic and she does that yes. so well and of the yes. kids i mean i really love i mean i do really like i really like rita her arc of course is like mm-hmm. you know she's a tough nut to crack but then she does and she's amazing yeah and i love the um tyler the nerdy the nerdy kid that everyone kind of picks <laughs> on um, yes. yeah there's just a lot of i don't know there's just like i think i think the kids actually are really well written and they're very they are reflective of that time and just like i remember being around people who spoke to each other like that and who used yeah. this type of slang and it was just like really cool to see that so i think i think in general just the new ensemble it really adds like another layer having the kids there Agreed, agreed. I love like when they're um it, it can come off as maybe a little cringy, but like when they're in the beginning and they're like rapping, what is their fucking rap that they're doing when she enters there? What the fuck is that again? Uh the one that Whoopi does? No, not her. No, when they she comes into the school, comes into the classroom. What are they oh, rapping? Oh yeah, I forget the I forget the lyrics, but yeah. Collard greens she... and something. Oh Jesus Christ, I don't remember. I don't oh, either, so funny. But, but yeah, no, like there's like this whole, it's, it's very much like, it makes sense to me, like why certain cultures have latched onto this movie. Cause it feels right. real. Like it feels real in the sense of, you know, seeing yourself on screen re- yeah. represented, like, you know, as like one of the main characters, like, I think that's, a, that's fantastic. And it's so yeah. like movies just don't like, that was just kind of inherently what they did you know in this film it wasn't something where it's like let's pull in oh let's make sure we have this representation and that representation it just really was reflective i think of just the population of of san francisco so it's yeah it was cool to see that and have it not be you know a bunch of white kids at a private school yeah no totally i i completely get that i also like how they do want us to believe that some of these people are teenagers i'm like a lot of ubok was like (laughs) fully 25 like (laughs) That's just par for the course in the 90s. I think like 25-year-old teenagers everywhere. <laughs> although, our, our, although our girl, uh, J-Love, I mean, she was literally 14 or 15. And also, chicken, Ryan, yeah. and also Ryan Toby was like 16 or something. Like, so and there are some they look young. Yeah. They really yeah, they do. They balance it out. <laughs> everywhere else. But I'm looking at this sketch, bro. I'm like, dude, you are like literally like 20-something years old. Yeah, I'm like, you need to graduate the school at a point because you are well over 18. (laughs) I mean, come on now. Let's be real here. But it's fine. Uh, But yeah, no. Yeah, God, I mean, like my one of my favorites. I mean, I really do love Arita a lot. I just like her. Like, I think her her arc is really cool, too. And I feel like I'm just like parroting you, but it's fine because I really do like a lot of these people. (laughs) No, um. It's that, but also, like, um, I do love a lot of Ubox character, her small role or whatever, like, how she doesn't know what Mary Had a Little Lamb is. Yes! Um, that's the love boat. <laughs> the love boat. <laughs> oh my god, that whole thing, yes. It's very funny. Oh, but I also love, like, um, some of the friars, like, are just, like... yes. Oh my god, like some of them, like and how they do the whole thing where like they're at the state competition and uh they lock the one superintendent um with using the, the with the sausage, <laughs> they lock him in the closet or whatever. Yeah. Oh Jesus Christ. It's so well, good. Just that that moment too where um Oh gosh, what is the the uh, character's name? Uh, Michael Jeter. Mike, whenever he is watching Rita sing at the beginning mm-hmm. of the finale, where she's singing, Father Ignatius. Album. Ignatius, yeah, and and I think, and he's like crying. He starts crying, and I'm like, yeah, that's how I felt watching this for the first time. It was so moving. <laughs> My gay self also feels this. Yes, <laughs> we got a lot of feelings. Us gays. <laughs> I also, even though she might have been a little scary, but like also like, oh, Shirley Ralph is so good in this movie. And and what I love, uh, we could also talk about how gay this movie is, but like mm-hmm. literally, like I love the fact that 
Bill Duke probably helped cast her really because she's a fucking dream girl, dude. Like it's mm-hmm. literally her, Loretta Devine, Jennifer Holiday. Like, I mean, come on. Like, but you know, that's what? a dream girl, baby. So like work. But like the fact that she's playing this person who is like so like, you know, don't have your head in the clouds, daughter, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you're literally Cheryl Lee Ralph. I just think that's very funny. Like, it's just that's like a conscious choice to cast her obviously she's a fucking amazing actress obviously but i also like how like obviously you cast her because it's like yeah i mean you would cast this fucking broadway star to be the mom of like you need to be practical honey like you know obviously like that makes sense and she doesn't even sing or she's never you know doing her full you know she's doing hair and everything right exactly but (laughs) <laughs> like come on now uh oh god it's so good uh yeah let's talk about how gay this movie is sure, <laughs> like, always oh jesus like i the reason i say this movie is very gay both of these movies are very gay but like the reason i say that is because there's a level of camp that's in here or just heightened sensibility if anything mm-hmm. what with the musical like they ate with the the music in this movie obviously but okay. like just the fact of like these musical numbers are just so heightened and awesome uh it's that but also just like this like weird i don't know it's just like this catholic like school setting i guess like Mm -hmm. i i don't know it just feels like something a little heightened um having someone like michael jeter in this movie you know queer man obviously but i don't know like i just feel like there is a certain queer sensibility throughout these movies uh do you also know about the director of the first movie like no no what particularly do you know that the director of the first movie, um, Emil, uh, hold on let me remember his name let me get my little papers together uh Emil Ardolino. Ardolino. Uh-huh. Do you know what other movie he also directed? Uh, no, not off the top of my head. He directed Dirty Dancing, my friend. Oh, that's probably why I don't know it because that's that's not one of my favorites. <laughs> oh, oh, oh! I know bitch. I get like attacked every time I say. Uh, that no, I'm people. not going to attack you, but I, I just, oh, bitch! Like you need to watch it. It's it's really good. I just did. I will rewatch it. it. I used to be forced to watch it as a kid because my mom and you know like older relatives loved it. I understand. Um, and it was my sister's favorite movie, and I never watched it like that, but it's actually good. Um, I think it's good at least. But anyway, but yeah, he's the one who directed that, and then he directed this uh, uh first movie. Um, and then he promptly uh passed away from AIDS complications, unfortunately. But he was a gay man, so he directed the first movie and mm-hmm. you know, all that. So, but I don't know. I, I think like this movie just has this like certain sensibility, whether it's like the musical numbers in this, it's the like heightened like this is what Catholic school is, everybody. I'm just like, okay. And it's like, no, it's not. <laughs> I, 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 don't, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't go to Catholic school, but something tells me that this might not be, uh, you know, <laughs> true to form, if anything. What's happening uh, Yeah, at all the Catholic schools. They're all just secretly housing these like amazing yeah. uh, professional choirs. <laughs> exactly. Did you go to religious school? I didn't know. I went to public school. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's fair. Um, you know, <laughs> Like I had money or anything. What the hell? Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, like what? Come on, come on now. Paying like, to go to school? What the hell? <laughs> what the hell? No, we're not doing that. Uh, so for Jesus? Okay. But anyway, no, I just think like, do you have any thought about like, you know, these movies in particular having any sort of like gay anything like sensibility or any of that kind of stuff? I don't know. I feel like I saw it especially, but I do you have any did. thoughts the, on that? Yeah. And, and the way in general, I think that, you know, like I, I love musical theater and 
Mm-hmm. That's something that I didn't, I was not ever exposed to really growing up. Like I, it's right, kind right. of something that I discovered when I did my undergrad in New York and then I got to go start right. seeing shows. And, you know, so I think um, for me, like there's just something about the, like you said, the heightened reality, it's almost like surreal yeah. of just the way people are with each other, the way that's the the film, the society works in the film, even yeah. something about it. It's just like on another level of kind of reality, I guess. And because of that, like, I think it makes it kind of safe. It feels safe for people who to yeah. go there to like be into like, this is a movie about singing and I'm a little boy in a, in a very mm-hmm. like masculine, you know, environment. Right. And this is something that's accessible for me to kind of own this part of myself or like connect with it. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, a lot of that, a lot of that stuff to me is tied into my queerness. So it's always been, you know, everything that I love growing up for the most part, I'm like, it's because it spoke mm-hmm. to me. It's because it spoke yeah. to me and that part of me that really didn't have other outlets then and so music mm-hmm. was how i kind of like really connected with like my sensitive side right, and feelings right. and just the way and just kind of like kindness you know trying to be kind to yourself and learning a lot of lessons through that so for me it's like all really kind of tied together i guess it's mm-hmm. just i watch something with a musical and it makes me feel joy and it's okay for me as a you know a cis man to enjoy that yeah. to do that and i think it challenges a lot of that uh, my dad loved this movie too. So it's like, yeah, you know, that these are, I think for me, it's that. And then also like, just like the lounge singer aspect and like the, what she brings, what Dolores mm. brings to the, that's so camp and it's wonderful. It's so oh, completely the, you know, kind of like the twisted covers of the, the Jesified covers of oh my the God, yes. you know, famous songs. Uh, Motown, the fucking, that. the fucking end credits of this movie in particular. Camp. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Oh my God. It's a, I, I love that. I miss seeing credits where people are just kind of like dancing around and singing yep. a, a new number for no reason <laughs> oh my god yes if you don't already know uh listener the movie ends with the literal cast of this movie uh whoopi goldberg looking great in this like blue number mm-hmm. or something bitch she looks so good that white um, background oh yeah oh my pops. god and they're just like all singing and it's just like their lip syncing and it's fucking incredible and i literally watched this movie it's playing in the background right now but i watched it for the first time and i watched the end credits i was like oh this movie is a four and a half for me like what the fuck like the, just those end credits alone i'm like oh this is at least a good four like <laughs> because oh, God, yeah i mean bill bill uh bill duke is not gay or by any means but like having something like that is just so over the top and camp and it it's of the time in the 90s like mm-hmm. Oh, God, yes. Side note. So you said you went to school in New York and all that. You said you went to uh, school technically with Alana Glazer. Does that mm-hmm. also mean you technically went to school with Rachel Bloom, too? I don't think we were. Well, if we were, if we were there at the same time, I don't know her. She maybe is a little bit ahead of me. Alana maybe. was my year because I met her my freshman right. year. You're right. You're right. Because they they roomed together, so that's why I asked. Oh, I was like, yeah. Because ah. I know. Yeah, I actually my um my ex lived on the same floor as Alana, and so Rachel probably yeah. was there. I'd imagine. Um, Most likely, yeah. Yeah, you know, I just never encountered her. Yeah, you know, I don't know anybody that's not famous <laughs> or anything. I mean, we're not like friends. I don't like chat with uh, Alana Glaze or anything, but I love to throw that out there because I just love she's she is that like what i yeah, know no. of her she is yeah. that character and she's she's lovely she's fantastic yeah yeah did you actually go to tish like seriously or like oh my god 
So I was in um I was in Steinhardt initially and it's like a that's where they house like the music um right, so like music right. music tech and music business. That's not the school of drama but they they stick out there you know. So then I yeah then I tra- then I transferred out to this um the program where you can basically develop your own concentrations. That's fair. And so then I took um a bunch of Tisch classes. So I was in that space not not in uh acting but I in their musical uh, remu recorded music. Oh, look at you being a little NYU baddie. Okay, good for you. Um, anyway, so you know, <laughs> rich, privileged people all around you, I guess. Oh my Jesus god, everywhere, Christ. and I was there, and I'm still sitting in so much debt because of that. But I would never change it for the world. It was a great. Experience. Why not? Apparently, I don't know, right? Exactly. Um, and then also, yeah, like I think, like not that I knew her or anything, but like apparently, Jane Levy went to my college for a semester, and I was like, that's fun. Oh. From the yeah, I, you know, I, I love her. The remake yeah. of <laughs> People Dead, which I Sometimes. adore, and she was in Sometimes. the wonderful Cancel Too Early Suburgatory, which is yes, just such a good show made by the creator of uh, As Told with Ginger. Oh, love that. Good for her. I think it's the same lady, isn't it? Emily Kapnick. Maybe I'm thinking of a different person. Ka- I think it is. Uh, yeah, she made As Told with Ginger yeah. too. Yeah, it is her. Love that. Yes, yes, bitch. Um, you know, this movie's just so fucking gay, dude. And I love that for that. But, you know, yeah, I mean, like, I think if anything, I think we've we've talked a fair amount about, you know, this movie in general or whatever. Talked about some of the scenes, talked about these musical numbers. Joyful, joyful, fucking amazing. It's great. Oh, yeah. Also, I don't know how I feel about that uh superintendent taking the credit at the end. That's kind of shady. I don't know how I feel about that. He sucks. He does suck. He's so horrible. <laughs> he's, um, he's so bad. But anyway, at least with the other friars, they're like, they kind of get together and they're just like, we're going to lock this bitch in a closet. You know what I mean? So, oh, I love that. He got what he deserved. Uh, so good. Anyway, but yeah. Uh, but to kind of like wrap up a little bit about what we think of this movie or anything like that, our, mm-hmm. our final thoughts, as I say with Jerry Springer, rest in peace. Um, you know, because he has closing <laughs> thoughts on his show. Oh, yeah. Trash, I remember trash for show. Sure. <laughs> uh, um, but do you have any kind of closing thoughts on this movie? Like, what does it mean to you? Like, what mm-hmm. what you'd want to impart onto other people, I guess? I don't know. Just what, what are your closing kind of remarks about this movie and, you know, why yeah. it's a good why it's a good little watch or whatever? Do you think, actually, before we do that, do you think there's anything in this movie that does not work, that does not age well at all? Like, anything at all? Or... Um, I, I think maybe some of like the slang and stuff, it's only because of like, you know, out of the time, it just is silly. Mm-hmm. And probably people these days, if you're younger, especially, and you don't have any frame of reference for the nineties, like some of it may be just like super cringy to you, which I get. I mean, it's, yeah. again, it's, it's pretty campy in that way too, but yeah, totally. but no, I mean, no, I think, I, I mean, again, this is like one of my all time favorite movies. This is five stars, mm-hmm. you know, but on without question for me oh, for a number of reasons. And so yeah, I just like I've been really, really heartened to see people like talk about this more over the years uh, since its release. And I'm really glad that it's gotten, you know, uh, more of a cult following over the years. And like it's uh, they reference it in the blackening. I just watched the blackening last week and they do the sh- she uses like the pay attention song she does. to calm her, which is I think it's amazing. And it's and it really speaks to just kind of the cultural yes. impacts of this movie outside of you know what we would see as like the mainstream or outside of four 
you know, for the, for the mainstream white audiences, like you said earlier, it's just, it's kind it wasn't made for, with those people in mind, which I feels like, mm-hmm. um, which I really appreciated. And that's something yeah. that for me, you know, I love seeing a film reflecting on a film growing up, even that yeah. I, that did a lot for me just as a human, as far as representation, as mm-hmm. far as like, oh, this is like something that I could relate to, or this is something that brings me joy. And it's cool to see it on screen. You don't get a lot of musicals, so to speak, like this (laughs) right? in the same vein. So yeah, I think for me, that's, that's a big thing. I think, I think it's like absolutely worth a watch if you Mm -hmm. just kind of want to like unwind and have a really good time and be really kind of like wholesomely entertained, which I really Mm -hmm. love about this too. It's very like, I always say like I Love Lucy is like one of my favorite shows of all time. And mm-hmm. because it's like it's just wholesomely funny. It's just like pure comedy that doesn't rely on like any kind of um, you know, you don't have to be, it's not like uh Judd Apatow, right? Like you're not like dropping right, right, right. and flashing your tits everywhere, like for the sake of humor, which again, there's Absolutely. a place for all that too. It's just kind of sure. like it, I find that certain movies that have kind of this pure, it's almost like timeless. Um, the way that it you know delivers comedy in a way that has like a really a real heart. Uh, it, this is one of those movies that like is there for me, and it's again like even beyond that. Like I do think it's funny, and I do think yeah. it's like moving, and I think it's just like really entertaining, and the music's fantastic. Like we've said many times. So. Oh yeah, yeah. I think uh, yeah. I think I would just say like it's if you want to feel happy, put on this movie and the <laughs> first one too. The first one's great, but this one is just yeah. kind of I think it elevates the vibe, uh, the joy vibe. Absolutely. I'm literally watching Joyful Joyful with the Muse uh, sound off right now because uh, we're recording. And you were talking about how uh, Mr. Noodle is crying when he's here and Lauren right? sing. And I just was like, oh, I was moved. Sorry. <laughs> like, oh. No, it's so sweet. It's one of my favorite moments. It's so cute. Oh, my God. And then they're just like in their 90s wear with these mom jeans. Oh, my fucking God. Oh, yes. those. And which, again, some of those people, that's how some of my younger uh, clients look like look these days. Uh, <laughs> they love the, yes. the 90s vibes. Which I, I love always it. am here for. Hell yes. No, so yeah. Um, first off, Blackening, so good. I just watched it today, actually. Um, because oh, cool. I wanted to I wanted to see what the um reference was. And uh-huh. yes, like if you uh want to be somebody, if you want to go somewhere, you need to stand up and pay attention. <laughs> like I just yeah. I missed it first, but then I was like, oh, wait a minute, okay, bitch. I, I'll get mm-hmm. this, this, this. That movie's so fucking good. It's really good. Um, yes. but uh with this film though, as you were stating, I think all of that is definitely in there i love a movie that is yes kind of wholesome but also is super fun that's my my love that i have for something like baps for example um, mm-hmm. i'm so glad i found that movie because like this that's a movie that does not rely on super crude humor it does rely a little bit on stereotypes perhaps but sure. also like it doesn't use like any racial slurs or anything like any of that kind of shit, but it's still so funny, you know? And I really appreciate that. And with this kind of movie, especially like this has become something where, you know, especially in the black community, it's a a kind of staple of a film, which is cool. But also I do think like this film, yeah, it's just something where it is just joy. It's just pure unadulterated joy and i really appreciate that and i enjoy that and yeah i just um you know i i don't really want them to make a third one i know that they are kind of in the works to maybe do that i think it'll be like hocus pocus 2 which i have not watched but i don't think it'll be that good uh i I mean i like i like hocus pocus 2 fine um i just think that it's those vibes 
yeah what i what i want i just feel like something about it it's not gonna quite work for me right exactly. now exactly exactly um, i feel and i'm not that. precious about that i'm not someone who's like don't ever make a sequel to my favorite whatever because every film sure. stand alone you know it's its own thing but um sure. i if i did want it for any reason maybe they could like mm-hmm. i don't know pull some stuff from the musical maybe they could that would be yeah but not, yeah, I just, I'd, I'd be curious to see what they try to do with it. And, and it's just, they're, 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 there's so much magic in, within the time period when the originals existed that it's hard to think of what that could even look like now. No, totally. And even like, maybe even doing like a, a adaptation of the musical would be fine, yeah. but like, yeah. I, yeah, but I don't know, just a continuation of it. But th- this movie is just so joyful, <laughs> joyful, yeah, joyful, uh, no, but joyful. It, it, it really is. But like, and I just love that it is joyful. It's happy. It has diversity in it, which is cool, you know, mm-hmm. and I can just really get behind that. And I, I'm so glad I have been exposed to this movie and these movies in particular, uh, just because like, I think that, you know, Dizzy, uh, <laughs> I mean, again, labor practices aren't always the best. They're billion dollar corporation that owns fucking everything in entertainment. Hardly, mm-hmm. um, you know, but they can produce some bangers and these two movies especially are that I feel like. So yeah, my closing remarks are just like, go watch this movie. If you have Disney, like, you know, fucking do oh, yeah. it, dude. Do um, it. Like own these, like it's, it's fun. It's something that's family friendly, you know, and, and that doesn't always mean a bad thing, you know? So right. I don't know. I feel like there was another thing I wanted to say, but I don't remember it now. So it's, it's all good, you know, whatever. Uh, but I want to just thank you so much, Ari, for coming on the show. Uh, again, we're strangers. I don't know you like that, but I mean, it's been cool to, you know, talk to you. And, and you know, if anything, I, I think you have some insightful points about, you know, just like living as a, you know, gay person and a person mm-hmm. of color as well. And that's why I wanted to have you talk about this movie too, because, you know, I'm just some white guy, you know, <laughs> so like, you know, um, but I wanted to get that other perspective on a film like this that means something to you in particular. And, and uh, again, I'm, ex- I'm glad you exposed me to it because it's great. Like, I mean, it's, it's awesome, but yeah. Yeah. But I think that's everything I can think right now though. But um, do you want to like plug your socials or anything like that? You know, for people who yeah. don't already know who you are and if they want to find you and stalk you. Sure. Sure. If you want to, if you want to get at me, I'm uh, at the R-E Drew, T-H-E-A-R-I-D-R-E-W on um, Twitter slash X uh, blue sky. I think that's, I also have that and Facebook, Instagram, you know, all that stuff. I usually will post, you know, pieces that I've written, um, new stuff that I'm working on. Yeah. And you'll see, I mean, obviously you'll see like links to different podcasts. I've been on different things. I enjoy talking about like found footage and horror, obviously, but also this type of stuff. And so thank you for giving me a reason to not do a horror movie, to talk about something else that I love. I've, I've done this a few times and it's always really, really fun to get to, you know, be a full three-dimensional human who likes more than just horror movies, even though ain't nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I, I am uh, happy to uh, have had you on for this and it's been cool. And then who knows, we might be hearing uh, very shortly about another movie that is also not horror. Um, and we're going to have a whole conversation mm-hmm. about that. Not you and me, but uh, you know, some other people as well. So mm-hmm. it'll be fun. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. I'll keep my but thank you. Of course. But thank you so much for coming on the show, and I hope you have a great rest of your evening, okay? 
Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Thanks. You too. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so via email at cultcinemacircle at gmail.com. In case you want to give any movie or episode recommendations, give feedback on the show, or if you'd like to just say, hey, I'm open to all of it. If you'd like to follow the show on social media, you can do so on Instagram and Instagram threads at Cult Cinema Circle. I tend to post what I'll be covering for the next week on there, post stories, things like that. On X, I'm at Cult Cine Circle. On there, I don't really post a whole lot, but if you want to follow the show, it's there for you to follow. And then on Letterboxd, I'm at Jesse, J-E-S-S-E, Kremp, K-R-E-M-P, all one word. On there, I log little movie reviews, I'll log what I'm watching, and then it's also a nice way to kind of see what I might be covering on the show in the future. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast on your podcatcher of choice, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm pretty much on all of them. Be sure to leave five stars and a one to two sentence review about the show uh, so we can grow the audience and then just spread the love all around. Be sure to tune in next week to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast, where I'll be covering 2002's The Hot Chick. Not only is Jessica Spencer the most popular girl in school, she's also the meanest. But things change for the attractive teen when a freak accident involving a cursed pair of earrings and a chance encounter at a gas station causes her to switch bodies with Clive, a sleazy crook. Jessica, in the form of the repulsive Clive, struggles to adjust to this radical alteration and sets out to get her own body back before the upcoming prom as always thank you for taking the time to listen to the cult cinema circle podcast and remember if you want to be somebody if you want to go somewhere you better wake up and pay attention take care bye